Shattering the Glass Ceiling is a production of the Connecticut Democratic Party. I'm Tanaya Baker. And I'm Jacqueline Cozen. And we're your hosts for conversations with women who are the trailblazers, rising stars, elected officials, and campaign pros who make you say, I'm with her. Today's guests are West Hartford's all-female Democratic delegation to the Connecticut House Representatives Tammy Exum, Kate Farrar, and Jillian Gilchrist. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Shattering the Glass Ceiling. Uh, Today is amazing because we have three powerful women uh, who I consider to be real forces in our state Uh, making a difference in politics and in policy as well. Uh, We have Representative Jillian Gilchrist, uh, Representative Tammy Exum, and Representative Kate Farrar. And what is so dynamic about this trio is that they are the only female delegation, House delegation in our state. So welcome, amazing women. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) It's awesome. Awesome day. Yes, yes. Um, so we will get right into the questions and I'm going to turn over to our, uh, amazing operations director, Tanaya Baker. Tanaya, kick it off for us. Hi. And again, thank you all for coming. So, uh, right into the questions. How are you, how are you all doing with the virtual sessions? I know, uh, Representative Exum and Gilcrest, you have something to compare it to. And Representative Farrar, this is your first legislative session and you're experiencing, experiencing it virtually. Can you uh, share with us what legislation you guys are currently working on? So I'll jump in, this is Jillian. Um, So glad to be here. Um, It's a lot of Zoom. We were just talking about that. Um, So sometimes managing three Zooms. There was one day I was actually had four Zooms at the same time. Um, But I'll say the biggest positive to me is the public hearing process. Um, Having having people get to log in, um, I think, has really streamlined the process. So you can also hear from a variety of perspectives, not only in our state, but across the country. So that's been really cool. I'm doing um, a variety of policies, working on some gender-based violence work. So human trafficking legislation, um, consent legislation as it pertains to sexual assault and some domestic violence legislation, trying to get hospital-based violence intervention specialists Medicaid funded. And then I, I didn't anticipate but um, I have really become moved by and determined to see aid in dying past this legislative session. And I agree. I think that there's more accessibility um, through the Zoom process. It is um, trying as far as being attentive to so many Zooms that can happen at the same time. But I love having the public being able to weigh in and the way that they're able to, some people who probably have never participated before because they couldn't make it, their hours of work or the distance and transportation. So it really has, I think, increased access, which has been, um, which has been good to see. And I hope it's something that we continue to tap into moving forward, um, even after we return to the Capitol. And I'm doing, um, different committees are doing different things. One thing that's passed that I'm very excited about is the Crown Act that was recently um, voted on uh, out of both chambers and signed into law. I went to the ceremonial um, signing. um, And the thing that was that the Crown Act is really around uh, legislation so that people who are black and brown or whoever you are, 
the hair that grows out of your head is not going to prevent you from being uh, promoted or hired. Um, and believe it or not, even though it's 2021, we have that type of um, discrimination that is taking place. I was actually on a call this morning with a, a mom who has adopted two black sons. And she said that when he was, one of her sons was in the second grade, he experienced so much teasing and taunting on the bus about his hair. And he was a student here in West Hartford and they had to get speakers and people to come in and really try to address that issue. And so you think it's something you're like, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I never knew about it. It is alive and well. So I was really, really proud of that legislation. And then we're doing a lot around um, looking at curricular it, um, pieces. I'm on the education committee now. And one of the things I love is this model curriculum that really addresses including in our curriculum, Native American studies, uh, Asian Pacific American studies, LGBTQ and gender studies, climate change, financial literacy, military service and experiences um, of, of veterans. And I think that the more people know each other and we really start teaching everyone's history starting in kindergarten, the same way we do reading and mathematics, then when we are in, as people start to evolve and know each other, it will help to mitigate some of these issues that we're seeing currently and that persist. And a lot of that comes from a lack of, of really knowing and connecting with each other. We're also working on um, the recruitment of minority teachers. And we're also in commerce, which is another committee on which I sit, looking at establishing a grant program for women and minority um, uh, own businesses and in higher ed really looking at uh, addressing sexual misconduct on college campuses and being sure that not just the individuals but witnesses who help report this are protected and that we do more surveys and really get that information. So those are just some of the highlights of issues um, that I'm a part of and excited about this year. Wow there's a lot to be excited about that thank you <laughs> that's amazing good stuff. This is Kate, and can you just tell why I'm so lucky that I have uh, these incredible women to serve with? Uh, and as the newest uh, legislator, just a couple months in, uh, everything they highlighted, I think, about the public hearing process is very true. I think I'll just speak to, you know, as a new legislator, you know, it's often a time to build new relationships. And uh, it's, it's challenging, right? It kind of forces you into really making sure that you are really making as much intentional effort as possible. You know, with, I know with all of my fellow freshman colleagues, um, we have an extensive text chain um, mm -hmm. that is extremely active. And that's really a connecting point for us going through all of this for the first time. And we all need those relationships, um, not just to navigate the legislative process, but to really be able to have the support of understanding um, what it feels like to be doing this for the first time. Um, so I'm grateful for the technology that allows it to happen. Um, but I'll just kind of comment on a few things that I think are front and center for me and especially um, have heard so much about from uh, folks in the 20th district, um, which is what I represent in Southern West Hartford. And one is definitely uh, healthcare. Uh, you know, several of us as a delegation um, have been speaking out about affordable and um, accessible healthcare. But I think for me, uh, what that looks like this session is really expanding Medicaid, it's expanding health insurance for um, immigrants, regardless of status, and also making sure that our small businesses and nonprofits can access um, more affordable healthcare through a public option. 
And then secondly, I think what I hear a lot about, and I think uh, uh, we certainly know as we go through this budget process that we, there has to be fairness and equity in whatever budget, you know, we are going to pass as legislators. Um, and to me, the priority there is really addressing our longstanding regressive tax system and making sure that those who are lower and middle income um, pay less and those um, who can afford more in our state pay more. Um, and I think this crisis just demonstrated those stark inequality gaps and we can do something about it at the budgetary level. Uh, and, you know, passion projects for me, I would say, is really a focus on, you know, how out of this recovery um, fairness, when we look at it, you know, we know that women, particularly women of color, are hit the hardest. Uh, so how are we investing in, uh, you know, greater accessibility to child care, to child care subsidies? Um, how are we expanding job training for women who've been unemployed to get into our high wage and high growth industries that we have in our state? And then personally, I have a bill that I'm, um, you know, been working on with Representative Bohr, who's down in uh, West Haven, uh, to make sure we have a more representative democracy. And we are seeking to set a goal that for our state, by 2025, our state boards and commissions will reflect our population so that we really do have um, women and people of color um, uh, represented in full in all of our state boards and commissions. Uh, but, but I'm just thrilled to be a part of this powerhouse team in the house. And uh, I'm grateful for all everything that we're working on because uh, as you all heard, it just, the, it all is essential, you know, as we come out of this crisis. Yes, uh, for sure. And uh, indeed, uh, this is, I don't know why I think more women need to be elected um, and be in positions of policymaking because they do really, I think, speak more to um, making sure that the policy that is made reflects the people that uh, it affects. So, you know, I think it's super exciting that you're all, uh, you know, all women working together um, and Jillian, uh, Rep Representative Gilchrist, uh, you're the senior member of the delegation here. How has your experience as state rep uh, changed with working with an all-female delegation in terms of, you know, negotiating the uh, uh, legislative process uh, and, you know, from start to finish, I know it's virtual and it's a little bit different, so you may have to just having worked on legislation and things you need to do to get things passed, but do you notice a difference with working with an all-female uh, delegation compared to, um, you know, not before? I do, and no disrespect to my former male colleagues, um, it's a lot more collaborative and it's a lot more of a partnership. So if one of us is working on something, um, we're likely to reach out to the other, share it and see if folks wanna sign on. You know, do we wanna introduce a bill together? That, that, that rarely happened uh, before. So there's just this sense of the more of us working together, the better, um, which I think does make politics stronger and makes for better policy. And so also, you know, like if I can't find a Zoom link, I'm a lot more comfortable <laughs> being like, Tammy, Kate, help. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's just my comfort level with women. Um, but you know, there is just this sense that we're in it together. Right. But I think the other thing too, is that as women, I mean, women working in politics, 
you know, I've heard from other women that have taught me, it's like, you always have to, you have to have it together. You've got to be the smartest. You got to know, you know, exactly what to do. Don't make a mistake because that's a sign of weakness. Um, you know, you have to be able to speak the strongest. If, if sometimes you're not it, taken to be the loudest because then you're too uh, aggressive. So I, you know, I, I could understand that. And I don't know if um, Representative Exum or, or Farrar, if you want to speak to that as well, how, you know, just working in the House too, working, do the women legislators kind of work together more closely? Because uh, understanding how you have to navigate the system sometimes mm -hmm. to get what you need passed, uh, is there an automatic like sisterhood that uh, comes together uh, with an assist or if you can speak to that a, a, a little bit? I, I can tell you my experience. Um, first, I think you're absolutely right in highlighting the way that it feels to be a woman in a leadership role and their, their eyes on you. And I have to say, being a black woman in a leadership role, I feel it really intensely because there's so few people that are in that, that position. Um, and particularly I'm, I'm coming from a, a, the second most affluent area outside of Fairfield County um, for, that I represent. And this is the first time in, in a district like this, you, you feel like you have to do it be twice, three times, four times as good and ready and prepared. And you see how men, they'll say whatever they want to say. They may, <laughs> they may not be prepared or ready at all. And it's just <laughs> remarkable. And it is, um, it is true, but that is a part of the, the weight that we carry that's not necessarily fair, but it is a part of making sure we show up. We do want to represent well. But I've noticed when I came in and I entered the house the last week of April in 2019. So everything was in flux. The people who, who uh, there were a couple of guys who were great, who sat right by around me, but it was really the women who reached out. Let me know if you need anything. Let me include you on this email chain. Do you know there's, there are a group of us who get together and they were very warm and welcoming to me. And I appreciated that um, very much. I do have to say though, I have to give a shout out to the black and Puerto Rican caucus. They kind of put their arms around me and brought me in. And I got more information about policies through them, but I got more of the, the friendship piece that developed through the other women. And it's so nice to have Jillian and Kate, because I do speak to them way more candidly and, um, and I feel comfortable in doing so. And they won't think, oh, that was stupid. Or, you know, they understand in a different way than I think it would be, um, that, that I know it would be because I experienced it briefly. I didn't have the same relationship necessarily with, with um, other men. But I have to say, Derek Slap, give him a shout out. He really is supportive of uh, issues that affect women and uh, equity and, and you know, gender pay. He, he really does. He's very supportive in that way. But I, I think we're super lucky to have all female <laughs> house yeah. delegation. Yeah, I know he has been. I, I've seen him like sponsor and, and support a lot of really great legislation affecting women. He's definitely, I think he has two daughters who he obviously keeps yeah. in mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And to what my colleagues said, uh, I think that, you know, there there is this sense, you know, as uh, women and particularly as Representative Exum Tammy mentioned, women of color, you know, you feel this personal pressure. And I think what 
they both highlighted is you can, you can, you feel like you can be a little more honest about that and honest about the imposter syndrome that we all feel in these roles with one another. And I think even just having, you know, that, that, uh, colleague, you know, that you feel that you can text and, and kind of express that nervousness or that, oh, I should have known better. And they're just there for you to say, you know, you've totally got this, like you're enough, you know, to have those female cheerleaders, I think who understand um, those range of internal and external perspectives on you. I think that is, is really critical as you're all kind of uh, as we're all in this very public role that for some of us we're in for the first time. Sure. Yeah, and I and I think that's great. I, I agree with you all. Um, not only are women powerhouses, but they they do help advance other women and help other women when they um when they need it. But I wanted to represent Exum uh, speak to you about how you uh, mentioned being a, a woman of color, and I wanted to know what is it like being a woman of color represented in a predominantly white town. It is an interesting dynamic. Um, one of the things that's, that is nice about, well, it's interesting because I represent West Hartford, Avon, and Farmington. Uh, the majority of my district is West Hartford, and I know West Hartford well. I've been involved in local com you know, community events, uh, not events, but um, boards and in, involved in the schools, and I led parent leadership uh, programs, and I did a lot around um, like early care and education initiatives. So I've been very involved in the community. And I think that has helped me to be an individual that when we were looking towards um, leadership, people did ask me to serve like on the board of education. And I'll be honest, at first, um, I, I said no, probably for a decade to running for anything. I simply did not see myself reflected in those places. Now, I come from a background where I've seen it with my own mother, who I hopefully maybe can speak about her later, but I didn't see it in my community, but I stayed very engaged and involved. It was through running for, I mean, working and coordinating the Parent Leadership Training Institute, where I was getting all these parent leaders ready to serve. And I kept saying, no, that I had this moment saying, this is a little ironic. You are preparing leaders and you won't lead. Why is that? step up. And it was a, so many of those things we talked about before, you know, is this the imposter syndrome? Am I, am I what people perceive as a leader? Am I doing this well? And how does it feel to carry the weight of the community? Since I know that what I say and do will be then seen as this is the way all black people say and do things. Right. But I decided to do that. And then that led to other people reaching out and saying, Hey, we'd like for you to consider this at the state level. And I said, oh, there's no way I'm doing that. I, I just really can't imagine that. Who did I see doing that? And particularly from an area that looked like mine. But um, after this, the prior election, not with Joe Biden, but the one that happened prior, I had an agitation in my spirit that said, <laughs> you know, if I was called, I am going to step up and I will do my best, but I have to serve as an example. And if it's not me, then who is it going to be? And I won't be perfect, but I will do my best. And that people ask me from this community means that they see me as someone that they felt could do the role. And so I, I don't have anyone to necessarily look at towards modeling this and how to do this. But I know that showing up, being fair, listening to my constituents, but also knowing that I represent women and I represent women of color that I will always have that lens with me on every piece of legislation that comes my way. And it allows me 
to help build equity in a way and to also educate people who may not have thought of things in a certain way um, and they have certain assumptions. And I feel that I'm also in that role to teach. So it's, it's been, um, it's heavy and it's also very wonderful um, to, to have this privilege to serve. Yeah. And I guess my big thing is, is if you can't see it, you can't be it. And That's right. Thank you uh, for doing that. And women always need to be asked seven times uh, before they would consider running. And it's, well, now we're seeing more women take leadership roles. Whereas, you know, before it's like, they're not seeing that all around them. So they don't think that they can be that. So thank you That's exactly right. for doing that. And, you know, and this kind of goes into another thing I, we wanted to um, talk about is the three of you have each had unique uh, campaign electoral experiences uh, getting elected. Rep Representative Exum, you won in a special election that uh, to replace now State Senator uh, Slap and uh, Representatives Gilchrist and Farrar, uh, you both primaried to become uh, the party's nominee uh, in the general election. Um, and these were all challenging experiences for different reasons. And I think um, it was the first time you all ran for office, I think as well, and you were all successful. Um, can you talk each talk about what made your campaign so successful and what's important for other women candidates to consider when weighing a run in a race that may be more challenging than usual because of various dynamics, um, you know, especially when uh, in politics, sometimes there can be a clog in uh, leadership positions. <laughs> and I think uh, representatives Gilchrist and Farrar has shown you sometimes have to dislodge it a little bit. So um, yeah, so I'll jump in. Um, I actually had run before. I've had the honor now of serving with Tammy Exum twice. Uh, we served on the Board of Education twice. together and uh, now in the State House. So we go way back and have a lot of funny tales. Um, but <laughs> yes, we do. Of first debates, you know, there's a lot of good times. Uh, but um, for me, you know, hearing that stat of seven times, I. I had heard that stat. Um, my background is women's advocacy work. And so similar to what Representative Exum was saying, there was a moment for me too of put your money where your mouth is. You know, if I'm encouraging other women to run, I need to step up as well. And so I was not asked to run. I was told I couldn't run. Um, so the gentleman who had the seat before me had it for 23 years in a heavily democratic district. And I was told over and over, oh, well, that's great, you wanna run, but you just have to wait till he doesn't wanna run anymore. Um, and then I was told, but there's also a line of people who want the seat. So pretty much you're at the back of the line or not even on the line. Um, and so to me, what I would tell other women is get your team together. And your team are folks who support you till the bitter end, folks who will challenge you um, to think better and do better. And where do you find these people? Your whole career and personal life. So I built my team from, it was predominantly women, all women and two men, no offense to men, um, but that's, I guess, who I'm most comfortable with. <laughs> so I had um, women from the playground, you know, who I knew through my kids. I had women I had worked with, women I served on local boards with, um, women I knew in politics who were strategic and um, some people couldn't be public about supporting me, but that was okay. And I think that's it too. You know, you got to leave your ego at the door, no hard feelings and um, just get down to work. And that's where I do think women 
have a leg up. We are insanely used to multitasking. And so, um, you know, yeah, you can do it. Um, I trained too much. I went to, I think by the time I ran, I had gone to four campaign trainings. Wow. Um, you know, one will probably do you good. <laughs> you could probably <laughs> could go after one, but I like to overprepare. You know, same <laughs> being taught in all of them, just so people, because I have a lot of women that ask me that, like, <laughs> what should I do? So yeah, no, you can just go to one. You don't, <laughs> you don't need four, but <laughs> I was ready to do it. So yeah, I would say get your team, get your team together. Uh, I'll jump in. My primary experience was a little different uh, because I, in the 20th, uh, actually was, became an open seat. And so it was, it meant that, you know, honestly, to kind of uh, represent Gilcrest's point, you know, from my sense of it all, it was like, okay, there's bound to be more people than me that have interest in this seat. So um, it was very much trying to get out as soon as possible. And in my circumstance, you know, my prim primary was against another woman, right? Which is candidates we don't often talk about, you know, what it means to run as a woman against another woman. And I think what was so important to me, um, to, to, you know, a little bit to represent Gilcrest's point is, you know, you, you go into it with a mindset of, you know, you're going to do the hard work. And then, then, then people start asking you about who you're running against, right? And you start to realize, oh, you know, like, you know, how, how do you navigate this, right? How do you, how do you navigate having the, the respect for a fellow Democrat? Um, and in this case, like complete respect for a fellow female Democrat in the race. Um, but how do you really distinguish what you're bringing to it? And I think what I really learned for myself is that, you know, I could really do that. I could be my authentic self and be just as supportive of a fellow woman running, but just be abundantly clear over and over again what, what I was going to bring that would be different, right? And, and what I was going to do to best lift up the voices and be the voice of, of my constituents. And I think what was interesting for, for my primary last, this time around this time last year was we were in COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of real decisions about campaigning that were being made real time about uh, how to run a race and uh, do that in a pandemic. And you know, in my case, you know, it meant, uh, you know, around, you know, this time last year, you know, we, we stopped door knocking, you know, I just started making calls to people, you know, as kind of wellness check-in calls, you know, to make sure they're doing okay. Um, but we did start up door knocking again, you know, in, in the summer, because that's where people were, that's where they wanted to have conversations. And I think to me, it was all about ensuring that I stayed true to the values that I knew I wanted to in the campaign to begin with, which was making sure that, you know, I was connecting with the community in any way possible, you know, that I was showing them how hard I was going to work for them, you know, per Representative Gilcrest's point. Um, and that, you know, no matter this pandemic, you know, ultimately, you know, I'm there to hear them and to make sure that even in this crisis, they feel like they have someone they can count on. Um, and, you know, for, for me in the primary process, 
I'll just note this, um, her representative Jill Gilchrist said, in the primary, you know, when you, uh, to be clear, neither of us got the endorsement in the primary either of the um, Democratic Town Committee. And so that meant we both had to petition um, to get signatures to get on the ballot. And I think one of the things that often um, can be overlooked in this process is when you're doing that, um, you are having a lot of voter contact. You know, you are, um, you are out there really proving to people um, how hard you're going to work for their vote when you are in this situation where, you know, you're fighting from the beginning, you know, not just to prove yourself, but you're trying to get their signatures to get on the ballot. And you're showing that it, times are going to be hard, but you're going to keep trying to fight for what they care about and what's important to the district. Um, and I think that's one of the things I feel like I really learned is really how much, you know, voters understand and can see in the work you put forward, how much um, you really value their vote and their voice. Thank you, yeah. And can't you see how amazing it is for me to work with them because it speaks to their fortitude, their tenacity, their resilience. I mean, it really is a wonderful example. And, and I have a totally different kind of so story because I was not thinking about running at this particular, at the particular time when the seat became available. And um, candidly, I you know, had some people reach out to me and ask if I would be interested. And I thought, oh, I, you know, I'm not so sure about that, but I thought, let me, let me explore this a bit. And then they called me back and said, there is very little time to explore. <laughs> you know, this is the way this works. People will jump in. And I talked and I said, well, I'll just kind of talk to the people who jumped in and we will figure out what we want to make sure we have the best representative for the seat. And the, the strangest thing that happened was everyone kind of cleared through, give me a call and said, are you interested? And I said, I'm considering running. Yes. And they said, well, I won't, I will support you. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is, um, this is amazing. And this also shows me that I'm ready to move forward. But unlike Jillian, there was no time for training. This was February that we had 45 days to do, to do this whole thing. And I had to pull together a group of people that I really trusted, but the people who ran my campaign were people I didn't really know. I had to just kind of take the names of people, get together a quick team. We had no time to go. We had to push it out and it was it was quick and, and like a whirlwind. And um, I mean, in 45 days, I'd lost 10 pounds. All I did was, you know, walk and walk and walk and door knock and talk and there was no time for food. And, um, it was an amazing whirlwind experience. And then when I, when I, when election day came, it was, it was, a, it was a really emotional day for me. Um, I had so much support and I had throughout those 45 days, people who had never been involved in a campaign, black people who had never really cared to be involved. They came out, they showed up, they took care of me. It was an amazing experience. And then on election day, I have to say it was really cool. We have always go to the butterfly and we kind of wait for results. And um, my, that day, my father, who was in his 80s, was up here. He was standing out on the highway with a sign early that morning. And we were super excited. We were going to all the polling places. Well, my sister was in Georgia at the same time going through a big medical scan and found out she was diagnosed with stage four and operable cancer. I got her diagnosis the same day that wow. I was going between places. And I remember having that feeling of, wow, 
what do you do when you have two things happening at the same time? And my dad was the same way. And he says, well, what happens, Tammy? He says, on top of all this, what happens if you don't win? And I said, if I don't win, I can be okay with that because I worked as hard as I could. I gave this everything that I could. And if I don't win, I can shift and go to Georgia and help my sister. If I do win, I will shift to support her, but I will do this role. And it was, and so I, I walked into the place, I was kind of crying and someone came to me and they said, would you feel better if you knew you won by a lot? And I said, oh, I wasn't crying for that, but okay. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so I was excited about that. And um, next week, you know, they did the ceremonial swearing in for me. And then the next week, I joined and everything was a quick whirlwind and it was just amazing um, just going in and voting when the, within the first hour at a full on press press conference before I even had a parking space. I was late for the press conference because I had to park by Bushnell Park and run in because I didn't have you know, it was just hilarious. No onboarding. Wow. But it was um, it was really just this whirlwind experience. And then this next time was unusual, too, because I didn't have an opponent. And uh, that came out whatsoever. And so I'm having an opportunity to really just learn and grow in this role. But this is still very new for me, but I am I am enjoying it. It's, wow. it's not intuitive, but it's, it's intense, but it's, it's, it's interesting and a lot of fun. And you're helping a lot of people ultimately. Uh, so th this question is for um, all of you guys. Who are your political inspirations, role models, or mentors? Recognizing the checkered history um my biggest mentors i look back to the suffrage movement um it took so long and it took so many different women and they didn't know many of them didn't even get to see what they accomplished but they believe so deeply um that you just need to keep working toward change and so when i need motivation i think to that and it, it calms me because it's like you know there's bills we just many of us worked on paid family and medical leave it took seven years but it only took seven years when you look back at the history of suffrage um so um that's definitely a mentor and then just women who've served in the legislature i named my daughter edith um because i think the name's beautiful but also there was a senator edith prague and just women who have been trailblazers and who put themselves out there um, are the women that I look to. I can say, you know, I was thinking about this and I know, like yesterday would have been my, my mother's past, but it would have been her uh, 86th birthday. And she was just an amazing leader. I mean, she was a force. I was looking through some of her information last night and what she did on the local level, on the state level and, and her church and her community. And she was, she was a force and she was, she would say her thing was, I will not go along to get along. I, you know, she would stand in it. She was strong. She, and she wanted to cultivate those um, attributes within her daughters. And she, and she did. And um, I used to say, Oh, it's so much. It felt like so much because she, she, she said, no, don't shy down from these things. You, you speak up, you use your voice. And um, she loved um, Shirley Chisholm. She used to talk about her, um, all the time. And she was the first um, African-American in Congress and the first woman in African-American to seek the nomination for president, you know, the United States. And she cared about equity and, um, and those types of issues, gender issues a long time ago. And I, that's really who I look to, but I have to say, I've also, I used to help and support Beth by, 
she was, you know, a friend and then she, you know, she ran for office and I would just help her. And, um, and she has been a wonderful mentor to me. And, and so is Sherry Cantor. And one of the things I like about is that they are authentic and we have genuine relationships and it's important. I love people who really are who they are. You know, you come from your core, you look at Robin Porter, it's from the core of who they are. And um, so I, I, there are people who are great and I'm sure in, in national level, but those, my mom, she really, for me, was my strongest mentor and leader. Uh, well, to Representative Exum's uh, highlight, I think to me, I, I always think of uh, Shirley Chisholm personally, as I got to understand her story in my life, particularly to what you shared, Tammy, about her just stepping forward when there might not have been those role models for her, you know, she, she didn't wait around for them, right? She, she stepped forward herself. And for me, what always rings true about her really is her statement. If, if, you know, there's no seat at the table, you know, you bring your folding chair. And the reason that always rang true for me is my first experience in walking into the legislative building was when I was in college at UConn and I had no idea what happened in that building. And it, I was, I walked in that building due to uh, an internship uh, with Denise Merrill. And at that time, this is 20 years ago. And now we still have only about a third of our legislature of women. And it was the first time when I was in a space, honestly, where I just saw so few female voices at the decision-making table, um, you know, as, as someone who, you know, identified as a feminist, you know, uh, had, you know, feminist parents always felt like, um, you know, that that was a core part of who I was, you know, seeing a space so markedly kind of missing women and that seat of seat of power. Um, that always stuck with me, you know, really through my nonprofit advocacy career. And that's why, you know, people, you know, like, you know, Shirley, so clearly articulated, you know, right, you, you can't just wait for that seat to be open at the table, you know, you, you have to take that initiative um, to find that extra chair, you know, to, to bring in. And I, I think, you know, for me, what was so remarkable in uh, having that first internship with someone um, like Representative Merrill at the time, who's now our Secretary of State, is I always think about that internship because it was through women like her that she introduced me to all of these other women, you know, who were engaged in the political process. And without her doing that, you know, I wouldn't have even found this path of, you know, a career and and now a personal passion, you know, of, of public service. And the, you know, that's where I think for all of us, you know, we've had, you know, uh, women role models, you know, early in life, or for me, very early in my career, um, to, to really show that there's this whole other world where, you know, women want to support you. And that's what I really found, you know, from that first internship with representative now secretary of state Merrill and, and really from learning so much about history, um, like incredible role models like Shirley. I know I love that her slogan was 
unbought and unbought. And lost. Yeah. <laughs> it, that's just perfect. Um, all right, we'll switch to some fun questions now. Uh, so Hollywood is making a movie about you. Which actor plays you? You could have more than one if, if it's like, you know, tone for one and, you know, uh, style for another, uh, you know. Well, well, I have to say something. My son um, thinks he, people think that my son plays me right now. My son is, <laughs> is a, an influencer and, <laughs> and, and I often get stopped um, by people who go, you're a good sport. Your son's portraying you. That is not what he is doing. It's not me. It's all women, but it is funny. It's kind of like a, um, kind of like having Tyler Perry portray me. Let me, let, let's just leave it at that. What your so, son's doing a little bit. So. I'm sorry. Do you want to oh. talk about what your son's still oh. listening now? Well, I- you know what? I actually will tell a little bit about him because I think there's something very cool about this. So my son, um, who graduated from Hall High School and went on to Howard University, and he graduated um, this past year. He was one of the May pandemic graduations. But he uh, he started a career uh, on this a sideline thing doing Vine, little Vine videos when he was in high school. He later launched into YouTube. His name is Kyle Exum, and he um, is an influencer. He is an he has, I don't know, the number of millions of people who follow him. Um, and this is what he does. And he's very good at it. He recently, uh, he also does promotions. And he recently did um, a promotion for the movie Soul within, he interviewed Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey. And he did things like that. But his best and favorite thing is his original comedic skits. And so one of the things he launched with was something called the mom rap years ago. And it was really funny. I was on the board of ed and I was watching, I was invited into this class and they did this project. Well, his comes on and it is this mom rap parody. And the, the kids were all kind of looking at me and everyone was <laughs> laughing. <laughs> and I thought, Oh my gosh, people are going to think this is me because the mom is a tough character, but it, um, he says, no, it's a compilation of a lot of moms. I said, yeah, but everyone really thinks it's me. <laughs> he's, but, but, but one of the, so he's great. But one of the things I love is my commerce hat. Kyle wanted to come back to Connecticut. He wants, gives back to this community. He does, he loves it. And he's, he could go anywhere. And I love that he wanted to come back to Connecticut, which means that we can get young people here. You know, we have to figure out ways to continue to work in that vein. But, um, but anyway, that's all I could think of. I literally couldn't think of anyone to portray me because I cannot imagine a movie, anyone paying money to see a movie about me right now. Oh, I have to say, after this podcast, you're going to have to eat. Right. Yeah. We're very, we're very, you know, we're, we're going to have million followers. Too. <laughs> okay. uh, Kate, Jillian. It is a hard question. Maybe I would ask Kyle Exum for his suggestion. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think all I could think of was I didn't like to me, it just would have to be like a sarcastic musical. Like I was like, what sarcastic musical exists? You know, who, who has like random uh, Kristen you know, Wig sense of right, Kristen Wig or maybe um, uh, Tina Tina Fey or uh, our oh. wonderful um, oh my gosh, who is uh, who is that wonderful woman who was in Frozen? I'm trying to think of Kristen Bell, right? Oh yeah, like, like could be. Uh, 
like one moment, like super serious and the next moment, just, you know, having a dance marathon. Like I feel like that's, that's the type of person <laughs> I, I want to, uh, to portray as, as I, as I know we all are right. These just multifaceted people, yeah. uh, who are just, you know, trying to get through the mess of life, um, but trying to kind of do our best. Sure. Jillian. I thought you would not come back. <laughs> I thought I avoided it properly. I forgot. Uh, well, we can circle back to you later. Yeah. I was once told I look like Jillian Anderson, but I don't. It's that we have the same name. So maybe. But she was amazing on The Crown as Margaret Thatcher. Oh my so, God. Yeah. Maybe yeah. her. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. Perfect. Easy. Hopefully this next question's easier. <laughs> okay. So uh, what music do you listen to when you prepare for election day or a big political event to get you pumped? Hmm. All right. I can answer that one. Um, Whitney Houston dance with somebody and I bop around the whole kitchen um, and anything Katy Perry. And my daughter loves Katy Perry too. So we can just like really <laughs> rev up for the event with Katy Perry. Awesome. Well, I'm the daughter of a minister, so I have to say I love gospel music, mm -hmm. and I have a strong faith, and so I usually put gospel music on to inspire me and to get me into that mode that I need to be in. Nice. That's what I do. Yeah, I definitely have had a campaign playlist, you know, that that had uh, any, any number of, of my choices, but I have to say that uh, I know it's a couple years old, but you know, Girl on Fire, Alicia Keys just gets me like fully, fully ready to get out the door and uh, em embrace those challenges. Nice, awesome. That's a great song. Um, so you know, we're kind of at at time. Um, so just one last question that I think would be helpful to. Uh, any woman uh, listening that, um, you know, what are three pieces of advice you can give uh, women who want to break into politics? And it, it could be just one from each of you. You both have so much, you all have just a lots of experience to draw from in, in different areas. So um, if, you know, what would be uh, something that every woman should know if they wanna get involved in politics or, you know, some guidance you can give? I would say you need a strong support network. You, you really need, um, you know, I, I mean, I have children, I have, you know, dynamic needs around me without the support of um, key people that I can always count on. And I have a very supportive spouse who said, whatever you need, however you need it, you know, we're gonna make this work. Um, that, was, that was the first thing I needed to hear before I would be willing to move forward because I had to have that support. Um, I think that's critical. I'd say believe in yourself. You can do it. Um, and so just take all that nonsense noise out. And, and if you wanna do it, do it. I would just say that you right now have all the skills and experiences that you need to run. You are enough as you are. And I would secondly say, I know all of us are on here and all of us are willing, but I think what's so critical is if you don't know where to start, 
just ask someone in your life, Hey, do you know, you know, our local council member or, you know, or, you know, how can I get in touch with them? Or, you know, I think often it can seem like there's this real barrier to engaging with your local or state elected officials. And I think the entry point can often just be having a conversation with someone, finding out about their path so that you can see where you can start. So just take that one step um, to have that first conversation. And I have no doubt that someone will have advice of how you can get best involved next. Yeah, and you know, one last thing I was thinking, these roles aren't for any particular person everyone's different. And if you're not, if everyone's the same there, we have a problem. Representatives, if you look at the, how dynamic a state is, a town is, a district is, as far as the people who live there, you want people there who's, who are like all of us. Like we, we need people who truly are representative and not so many of the same. So embrace your uniqueness and everything that makes you who you are and bring those pieces to that not seeing it as a deficit from a a lens of lack, but as a lens of something that can add to the tapestry of what we are, what we are to represent and what we are to be to all people, I think is important as well. Thank you all. Thank you all for coming. This was amazing. Um, Thank you for being vulnerable and and telling your truths and just giving the advice. I think it's gonna help a lot of women who want to be into politics or who, who are into politics and maybe just need that extra pick me up. So I, I just wanted to thank you all for coming. Um, and I also wanted to let everyone know about our Hispanic women's leadership panel we have coming up next Thursday, the 25th at seven o'clock. And it'll be um, a lot of amazing Hispanic women telling their stories and um, their experiences. So if you guys can check it out, that'd be great.